If you would, take your Bible and open to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I don't know that we have mentioned this uh, from the stage before, but just to let you know about an option, don't run out of here immediately and take advantage of this, but our audio-visual guys and gals have figured out a system where we're able to make our services available on Facebook Live. Uh, Some of you have told me that you actually watch the service on Facebook Live while sitting in here during the service, so I'm not sure about that. and the only reason I mention this is not anything to do with the sermon I'm about to preach because it's a really hard text and it's one of those mornings I'm really, really glad my son was baptized this morning because after this, we're just going to try to pick up the pieces uh, emotionally and, and in relation to what we're doing. So here's what I do say. I met a family as I was coming in here just a second ago. A family was leaving because of a sick kid and they're like, oh, we're going to miss the service. I say, well, you can go home and watch it on Facebook. And they're like, oh, that's a good thing. So... Now, that's not your free card to not come and be a part of Gathered Worship, but if you do have a kid with a tummy, tummy bug or, you know, you have to be away because of work, or we even have some folks that are out of the country and they're able to take advantage of, of Facebook Live, we want you to know that, that that's an option out there for you. So as we get started this morning, let me, let me pray for us, um, mainly to get my own mind and heart focus, but, but for us as well as we gather together. Father, thank you for the gift of, of gathered worship. We, we don't take lightly the technology that allows us to stream something like this through Facebook or, or take advantage of the website and things like that. Those are, those are good gifts, but God, we also, we also know it's a great gift to be able to gather in person, to shake hands and give hugs, speak words of encouragement be able to, to be a part of baptism happening. Father, thank you for all those gifts that, that you give us. God, I pray as we study scripture right now that the power of the resurrecting Christ, the one who died and was buried and rose again so that we would have life, the same spirit of Christ would be at work in our midst as we study scripture, as we think about the impact of the gospel in our lives and our church. So God, guide us during these times of, of looking at scripture, and Father, we thank you for the gift of this time. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So one of the things I really enjoy doing is listening to podcasts. Uh, there's something that makes washing the dishes easier when you're listening to a podcast or you're going down the road and you're listening to something. One of the podcasts, I listen to a lot of different ones, but one of the ones I enjoy a lot is called How I Built This. It's a podcast about how businesses have gotten started and, and entrepreneurs. I'm always interested in how certain businesses got off the, off the ground. One of the most important businesses, businessmen in U.S. history that you may not have heard of is a man named Julius Rosenwald. So back in the late 1800s, there was a man named Richard Sears who started to gather watches, and he would resell these watches to railroad workers and farmers. And Sears, his business became so good that he brought on a man named Alva Roebuck uh, to be a part of the business with him. And they started putting out these catalogs, the Sears Roebuck uh, catalogs and their business just took off uh, as they started to sell not only watches but many other products as well. The problem was their business grew so quickly 
that it wasn't long before Roebuck, because of personal health and personal things, he wanted out of the business. And so Sears was able to bring in two other people to be a part of his business. One was his brother-in-law, and that did not go well, but his brother-in-law brought in another person with him named Julius Rosenwald, and Rosenwald was a management genius because what had happened is Sears was doing so much business in the early days that these orders were coming up, and they couldn't keep up with them, and so they just started burning invoices and burning orders, and the whole office, the whole business was in complete chaos. But Rosenwald came in with these new management principles, and he brought order and peace to the business. And so during the time that Rosenwald was there, Sears Roebuck went from $750,000 in sales to over $50 million in sales just because he brought peace and order to a situation that was completely chaotic and completely out of control. When you read 1 Corinthians and you think about the church in Corinth, you find out quickly that it's a situation that there's a lot of chaos, and there's a lot of disorder there. And one of the things that Paul is teaching them is when the Spirit of God moves in your life, and when the Spirit of God moves in the church, one of the things that will happen is peace and order will be established. What we've been talking about in our study through the book of 1 Corinthians is what it looks like for God's Spirit to work among His people. If you haven't been with us, maybe this is your first Sunday or you've been out a couple of Sundays, one quick slide to catch you up to where we are. At Emmaus, we say that we exist to proclaim and display Jesus. Our goal as a church is not to build up our name. Our goal as a church is not to focus on Emmaus is to focus on Jesus. So we're going to proclaim, we're going to speak about Jesus, and we're going to display, we're going to live lives that show this is what it looks like when Jesus is in control. Two weeks ago, we said that proclaim equals speak, so we speak up to God in praise, we speak into other believers in encouraging ways, we speak out to people who are not a part of the church in a way that they can understand that's loving, so we talked about that. Last week, our friends from Hope is Alive were here, and we talked about how when God's Spirit works, it grows, God's Spirit grows us in maturity. He grows us up into being spiritually mature, and so we walked through that. This week, what we're going to talk about is when God's Spirit is at work, He brings peace and order. Because here's the deal. (laughs) You don't have to look at the early days of the Sears company, and you don't have to look at the church at Corinth, you just look at your own life, and you look at the families around you, and you look at the world that we live in, and all the chaos that is out there, all the disorder that is out there, all the anxiety that is in here, (laughs) all the chaos that is in here, we live in a world where people are facing chaos, where people are facing anxiety, where people are facing this uncertainty, And what we want you to hear this morning is that when God's Spirit is at work, God's Spirit will bring peace and order, not only to the church, but to our lives individually, and even beyond that, to the world around us. How does this work? 1 Corinthians 14, starting in verse 26. Here it is. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a ton, or an interpretation. 
let all things be done for building up. What we see in 1 Corinthians 14 is one of the few pictures we get of what life was like in the early church, what was happening in those early meetings for the Christians. Now, the themes that are mentioned here in verse 26, a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a ton, an interpretation, those probably weren't the only things happening in the church service. So this isn't an actual order of worship from the early church. We know that because there's no announcements or offering mentioned here. So we know that this was not actually everything that happened in, in the early church, but the reality was people were showing up and everybody had something to share. And one person had a song they wanted to share and another person had a revelation they needed to share and somebody else had something to share. And Paul says, whoa, slow down. The purpose of this is that the people would be built up. This has been a consistent theme throughout 1 Corinthians 14. If you're going to gather together, it's not for your own good. It's not for you to show off. It's that the church is built up, that we're building up and encouraging one another. Verse 27. So here's an example Paul's going to give. If any speak in a ton, let there be only two or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about this idea of speaking in tongues and what that, what that might have looked like. Paul's focus here is that a situation was developing where many people were chaotically speaking in tongues at one time, and they were speaking over top of one another. There was no interpretation, no clarity about what was happening. It was causing all this confusion in the church. And Paul says, we can fix this. Just be silent. Just a couple of you need to speak, and the rest be silent. Now that phrase, keep silent, is going to be important right here because you're going to see it three times at the end of 1 Corinthians 14. It's going to show up in a very controversial place in a couple of minutes. But notice, already Paul is telling a group of people there in the church just to keep silent. And here's another thing to notice about this. If you've been a part of a church, or maybe you consistently attend a church uh, where there's a lot of speaking in tongues and a lot of these things happening, Paul is speaking to these people and he says, let each of them keep silent in church. Don't, don't cause this confusion. Which means that being taken over by the power of the Holy Spirit doesn't equal being out of control. You turn on your TV to the religious station and you see people who are exhibiting signs of being taken over by the power of the Holy Spirit and they're just out of control. They're speaking in a way that they can never stop speaking or their bodies are convulsing. And Paul says, whoa, time out. That's not what it means to be filled by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're filled by the power of the Holy Spirit, at the same time, you have the self-control to be quiet. You have the self-control to back off and let somebody else do something. When God's Spirit takes over a person, it doesn't result in lack of self-control. It results in what really amounts to true self-control. And so Paul is painting this picture for them here. It goes on in verse 28. Actually, verse 29, sorry. Verse 29. Then he says, okay, we talked about tons. Now we're going to talk about prophecy. These were the two gifts that were causing all the, all the trouble. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. Again, we have a reference to silence. Everybody had something to share 
It's like you teach the uh, first grade Sunday school class and you ask for a prayer request and all the hands go up and all the kids start talking at the same time because everybody has something to share. There was a situation happening here in Corinth where everybody was coming with a prophecy and everyone wanted to share and nobody else could get a word in. Uh, it's the small group Bible study or Sunday school class where one person was dominating the whole conversation in class and nobody else could get a word in and everybody had something to say and it was causing all of this, all of this tension in church. And Paul just says, take turns, share, be silent, have control when you meet together. Now you look at verse 30 and it says, if a revelation is made, oh, sorry, back, yeah, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. If you're in a bad mood this morning, uh, you might read that verse and say, so Owen, does that mean that we can interrupt you during your sermon? I mean, you act like you have something to share, but I really have something to share with the church. And so if I stand up and I have a revelation to share, does that mean that we can just cut you off? No, no, it doesn't mean that. I just need to say that uh, up front. Partly, partly this is referring to something other than, than the preaching of the word. Like I said, 1 Corinthians 14 doesn't give us a full picture of the gathering of the church. But what we do need to learn from this is that when we hear the preaching of God's word, that is a core, central part of what it means to gather for worship. But that doesn't mean that God speaks only through the pastor. I worked really hard during the week to study scripture to say, God, what do you want me to say to these people that I love? But I am not the only person who is able to speak God's word to you. There may be a friend this morning who comes up to me, who comes up to you and says, I just want to encourage you with a scripture that I read this morning. Let that person speak. I don't want you to get an idea at Emmaus that it's only Owen's words that matter because that couldn't be further from the truth. What, what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 is you are all gifted. God has given you things to share. Now don't do it in a way that causes confusion. Don't do it in a way that causes chaos. But we need to use the gifts that God has given us. Uh, when we were in New Orleans, we were pastoring, pastoring a very small church, 25, 30, 35 people. It, it was a small, small little place. And this lady came in to one of our services. And during the service while I was preaching, she kept tapping Amanda on the shoulder and saying, can I ask him something now? <laughs> Amanda's like, no, he's preaching. Just, just hang on. Five minutes later, tap her on the shoulder. Can I ask him now? Amanda's like, what do you need to ask him? I brought these bills I need paid. I need to ask him which one he can pay. And Amanda was like, hang on. <laughs> we'll get to that after the service. So this verse is not your permission to interrupt uh, while, while I'm preaching. But what it is to say, we're all supposed to be engaged. We're all supposed to be involved. God can speak through you to me. God can speak through me to you. We build up one another in this process. All right, verse 31. Paul goes on and says, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. This is about the whole body working together. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. Now that word subject is underlined on the screen. And I put submissive in the brackets out to the side. Because we're going to see another situation in a moment where a group of people is told to be submissive. And it gets a really bad rap. But already here, one group of people talking to another, they're told to be submissive, not to overrun one another, not to be assertive in a way that says, I'm going to do whatever I want to do no matter what you say. No, God has fashioned the church in such a way that we're able to speak into someone's life. 
No one is able to come and say, I'm above everybody else. I'll say what I want to say. I'll do what I want to say. Nobody can speak into my life. And Paul says, no, you're, you're subject to one another. There's a checks and balance that God's Spirit has worked here. And then verse 33. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Write that verse on a three-by-five card. Stick that verse deep in your head and deep in your heart. Take it with you this week. That may be God's gift to you for your week. God is not a God of confusion. Confusion is a word that has to do with instability, that has to do with disorder, that has to do with chaos. God is not a God of confusion or disorder. God is a God of peace. God's character, who he is, is peaceful. Now, like many of you, I struggle with a lot of anxiety. When I think about what's going on in the inside of me and my heart and mind a lot of times, peace is not always the word that would characterize that. But what we learn from Scripture is that when God's Spirit is at work in our lives, he will bring peace. He will bring stability. And it's not the type of peace that makes all our problems go away. It's the type of peace that allows us to go through those hard times, to go through those storms and say, you know what? It's okay. God is not a God of disorder. God's not a God of chaos. God's not a God of confusion. He is a God of peace. How do we have this peace? Look at these next slides that deal with this. Romans 5.1. I'm giving you a lot of memory verses, but here's another one you need to memorize. Romans 5.1. Since we have been justified by faith, so we didn't earn our standing before God, we didn't do anything to, to gain that of our own strength, it's stable because we have faith in Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How can I have peace in life? Everything that I'm facing, everything that's out of control at work, everything that's disorderly in my house, everything that's falling apart inside, how can I have peace we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Our peace with God is not based on our ability to control the circumstances. Because many of you are in the middle of situations at home and at work that you literally have no control over. You cannot control those circumstances, but you don't have to. Because your peace with God comes through Jesus Christ. He is your stability. He is your peace. He is your hope. And when we have that peace in place, then we're able to have peace with one another. Christ himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Paul is talking about the relationship between Jews and Gentiles, but through Christ, we're able to have peace with people that should be our enemies. Christ breaks that down and says, no, you're able to be reconciled. You're able to have peace. And then Romans 12, 18, which always reminds us how real life Scripture is. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Sometimes you say, I have peace with God, and I am doing everything in my power to have peace with this other person, and they just don't want anything to do with it. And Romans 12, 18 says, yes, I understand. If possible, as much as it depends upon you, Live peaceably with all. Sometimes there are situations you find yourself in or relationships you find yourself in and the other person just doesn't want peace. 
you try and you try and you try and they're not going to have anything to do with it. But what they can't take away in that situation is your peace with God. And what they also can't take away is the peace that God creates within us. As we go through life and we face things and we say, you know what? This is not going the way that I would have wanted it to. This is not going the way I would have expected. But I have peace. I have stability. I have hope because of who Christ is. Now, one, one caveat, and then we're going to move on to the next point. There's a kind of peace that we try to have with one another in which we make peace by sweeping things under the rug or not dealing with issues or just becoming indifferent. Having an I-don't-care attitude toward a situation or a person is not the same as being at peace. And not confronting a difficult situation just to keep the peace, that's not really peace either. And so what we want to say is we have peace with God and we have peace with others, but this isn't a peace that comes from going around situations. It's a peace that comes when God takes us through situations. And so sometimes you're at peace with God and you're seeking to live at peace with others, but there's a little bit of tension there. But it's almost healthy tension. If you've been a part of a sports team or you've been a part of a business that was working well, you know that sometimes in sports or in groups or in businesses, there's a healthy level of tension and conflict. If everybody's just giving hugs and patting on the back and singing kumbaya, oftentimes you don't get any better. You don't improve. You don't make any progress because nobody's ever dealing with anything. You just sweep it under the rug and keep going. That's not true peace either. There's peace that comes through God, but sometimes you have to go through those hard situations to find it. But what I do want you to know is go home knowing that God is not the God of confusion. He's the God of peace. Okay, let's go to the next part. As in all the churches of the saints, this is the end of verse 33. There there are big, long journal articles written about whether the end of 33 goes with the first of 33 or goes with 34. It's hard to figure out. I think it goes with 34. So we're going to pick up in the middle of 33 to start our second point. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. (laughs) Look at the time. Man. (laughs) Wow. Good times. I'm so glad that my son was baptized this morning. When, when kids are getting ready to be baptized, I always tell them, people are going to remember seeing your baptism long after they forget what I preached about. And this is one of those moments I'm taking that to heart. They're going to remember those baptisms for Abby and Bennett long, long after they've forgotten what, what, I, what I said. Um, what, do we do? what do we do with these particular verses? Um, First off, look, it says, keep silent in the churches. If you started reading just in verse 34, you would say, why is he picking on the women here, saying to be silent in the churches? But what have we already seen? Twice before, he's told other groups to be silent in the churches. So this has nothing to do with Paul being anti-female or misogynistic or picking on the women. There's something in particular going on here because this is the third time He's used that same phrase, keep silent. There are so many rabbits we could chase, so many questions we could try to deal with that we don't have time for. So what I want to do is back up 
and give you a couple of verses as a starting point, and then we're going to try to deal with this subject within the whole framework of what we're talking about. Let me give you a couple of verses to look at, and then we're going to come back. Acts chapter 2, the sending of the Spirit and power at what sometimes is called Pentecost in Acts 2. In the last days, this is a prophecy from the Old Testament from, from a prophet named Joel. I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. When God's Spirit is at work, both men and women will speak. They will speak empowered by the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 5. So before we've gotten to chapter 14, before we are where we are now, there's an even more difficult section of Scripture in, verse of, in chapter 11. But in chapter 11 it says, Every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. There's a big discussion in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians about head covering, and you'll be able to get to that in your Sunday school classes in a couple of weeks as you study through 1 Corinthians. But don't miss the first part of that verse, every wife who prays or prophesies. Paul expects women to be praying and prophesying. And chapter 11 even fits within the context where he's talking about things in the local church. He goes on to talk about the Lord's Supper almost immediately after that. And so he's already said that women are praying and prophesying. Chapter 14, he tells them to be silent. How do you fit those two together? We'll talk about that. First Timothy 2, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she's to remain quiet. 1 Timothy seems to be talking about the role of a pastor or an elder, providing that guidance for the church from the position of teaching the Word of God and providing that, that direction for the church. And so a, a woman might not function as an elder or a pastor in a church, but that doesn't necessarily mean that a woman's not going to speak. Okay, so let's go back to 1 Corinthians 14. How do we try to untangle this? I've underlined some more some more verses back there, and, or some more words back there. So keep silent in the churches. They should be in submission. Now, before we trip over the word submission, remember that just two verses before, the prophets were to be in submission to one another. So it's this idea of not asserting yourself in a way that says, I'm going to take charge, I'm going to do whatever I want to, no matter what anybody else thinks. Paul's calming that, but he's calming it in such a way that he's already spoken to the prophets about, uh, about that. As the law says, you say, are you talking about Roman law, Greek law? Normally when Paul refers to the law, he's referring either to the first five books of the Old Testament or he's referring to the whole Old Testament. A couple of verses earlier in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul used the word law to refer to the book of Isaiah. So sometimes he uses the word law to refer to the whole Old Testament. And he's probably going back to the book of Genesis and to the creation story to, to form the foundation. Almost always when Paul talks about the relationship between men and women, he goes back to the creation story for, for his foundation. But they're still told to be quiet, to be silent in the churches. What's going on there? Okay, let me give you a couple of options. We don't have time to walk through all these because uh, it would get us deep in the weeds of of journal articles, and we don't need to go there, but let me give you a couple of options. One option is people say, Paul is just wrong. This is, 
this is not appropriate, it's not applicable to the, to the 21st century, Paul's just wrong. Sometimes people will say that these particular verses were added later by a scribe who wanted to keep women down. Well, that solves our problem, except there's just no manuscripts in history that have been found that don't include these verses. Or sometimes people will say, well, Paul is quoting the Corinthians here, and then he's going to correct them. Eh, it just doesn't work. When we're studying Scripture and you run into something hard, we're always careful. We're not trying to maneuver our way around it. We're trying to think, okay, how do we address this head on? Flip to the other side. Some people will say, Paul means exactly what he says right there. Women should keep silent in the church. In which case, we've done a terrible job this morning. <laughs> because we've already had two ladies on stage sharing beautiful testimonies about someone's life who was transformed by the gospel and they're following Christ in, in baptism. And some people will say, you're completely out of line with scripture because you allowed a woman to stand up and, and speak in church. To those people, I would say, don't forget 1 Corinthians 11.5, where Paul's already talked about women praying and prophesying, just doing it in a particular way. So Paul doesn't seem to be giving a blanket, completely keep silent. And also, the people who are very straightforward and literal about this generally forbid speaking in tongues in their churches, which is something that in verse 39 and 40, Paul will say not to forbid. And so, you can't have it one way and not another. Uh, if you're going to say it says this, this is exactly what it means, this is what you have to do, you better be ready to be consistent uh, across the board. So what I want to tell you is this scripture is God's word, and it absolutely does apply to our lives, but it applies in a particular way that needs to match the way that it was given to the Corinthians. We receive God's word by understanding how it was given to the people that it was written to, and how does that impact our lives? How does that impact our churches? And one of the keys, if you guys could back up one slide, I missed a slide that I want to go back to. It's a quote from someone who was a political figure in the ancient world named Cato. Cato is speaking about a political situation going on where women were going out trying to campaign to these men of influence in the community about something they wanted to have passed in the local government. And Cato says, what kind of behavior is this? Running around in public, blocking streets, and speaking to other women's husbands. Could you not have asked your own husbands the same thing at home? Skip forward to the slide that we were just on in 1 Corinthians 14. Look at verse 35. If there is anything the women desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is a shameful thing for a woman to speak in church. Do you see the connection there? In the ancient world, it was shameful, it was inappropriate for a woman to ask another man's husband something, to speak to another man's husband in public because it would have shown disrespect for her own husband. It would have been a shameful thing to do that. It would have brought dishonor on the church. It would have brought shame on her husband. And so Paul says, if you, have, if you want to seek something from a prophet or you want to seek an answer, don't in church in front of all the other people speak to someone else's husband because you're dishonoring your own husband, you're doing something that you wouldn't do in public and you're bringing it into the church and it's causing all of this problem. 
So what are the takeaways? What are, what are kind of the applications from this? One, you don't do anything to embarrass your spouse. This is something that my wife is amazing about. Being so careful never to embarrass or shame your spouse in public. When I'm around couples, and anytime you see one spouse embarrassing or shaming the other in public, it's usually a red flag that if that's happening in public, what's that going to look like in, in other contexts? And so Paul is saying you're not going to act in any way that's going to bring embarrassment and shame on your spouse. It also means that there's caution. Let me, let me back up and say it this way. If someone came up to me, another lady, and asked me a question about the Bible or a spiritual question, is that going to bother Amanda? No, not at all. I, lo- I love it when people ask me questions. I'm able to help you walk through things. I know you're talking about them with your husbands, and you're just wanting to know. If someone came up to me and said, Owen, I really think you and I need to have a six-week, one-on-one Bible study about this particular topic in your office, just me and you. We won't tell Amanda about it. It'll be okay. Is she going to be okay with that? You don't want her to know your name um, at, at that situation. She is most certainly not going to be okay with that because that's going to bring shame on her because you're seeking to develop a relationship around a spiritual topic in such a way that it's going to be shameful. It's going to bring shame on the church. It's going to be shame on the gospel. That's the type of situation that Paul is addressing here. And so Paul is just saying, you need to be quiet in church because if you speak to another man's husband, it's going to bring shame on the church and it's going to bring shame on your family and ultimately on the gospel. Going on to verse 36. He's going he's gonna to hone in on this idea of pride here. Or was it from you, now he's talking to the whole church, or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. What Paul is address, addressing here is this issue of pride. People who were saying, I'll speak whatever I want to speak, I'll do whatever I want to say, I'll do whatever I want to do, and you can't do anything about it. There's a really interesting wordplay. This is, this is really amazing the way this works. Down here at the very bottom, verse 38, the very last word there, if anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. It's actually the word uninformed, and it's the same word that shows up in chapter 12, verse 1. So what Paul has done, he has used the same word to tie together the beginning of chapter 12 and the end of chapter 14 and fits those chapters together. And the reason he does that is chapters 12 to 14 have been all about what it means to be a spiritual person. And here at the end, Paul says, if your idea of being a spiritual person is I'll say what I want to say, I'll do what I want to do, you are actually uninformed about what it means to be spiritual. You have the wrong idea about what it means to be spiritual because you think it's all about you. You think about God's word originating with you. Well, God has actually spoken to more people than just you. And so you need to leave your pride to the side, you need to be humble, and you need to realize what it really means to be filled with the Spirit of God. So Paul uses this word here to tie together chapters 12 to 14. Look at the way he wraps this up. Verse 39. So my brothers, verse 39, 
earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. That one verse summarizes chapter 14. Verse 40, but all things should be done decently and in order. So we talked earlier about how God is a God of peace. When God's spirit works in our lives and works among people, peace results from that. God is also a God of order. And order comes through humility and silence when we say, I'm not going to assert myself. I'm not going to do just what I want to do if it's going to cause trouble. I want there to be order. I want there to be structure. The reason we know that God loves order is because you go back to the story of creation, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. That's meant to be a scene of chaos, of disorder. What does God do? The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then you get this incredibly orderly, structured creation account. From the very beginning of the Bible, where God's Spirit is at work, order is brought out of chaos. To the very end of the Bible, where God's Spirit is at work, order is brought out of chaos. God brings order so that there will be stability in his creation. God brings order so there will be stability in your home, in your church, and in society. You know that when things are chaotic at home, all of life feels chaotic. When things are chaotic around us, it's hard to have that peace inside. And God says, I want you to have order. I want you to have structure. I want you to have stability. There's a great old book written by Gordon MacDonald called, called Ordering Your Private World. Gordon MacDonald talks about the need to have order and structure on the inside so that you have stability to be able to live the life that God has called you to live. Kids, this means... When your parents tell you to pick up your room, make your bed, take a shower, brush your teeth, that's spiritual. That's good. God wants you to have order in your life. Now, that doesn't mean that the clothes in your closet have to be hung up by color, though that's a good thing if you do that. You don't have to do that. It doesn't mean that everything has to fit perfectly, but God is a God of order. God is a God of structure. God is a God of stability. Now, that, that order and structure shouldn't be the same as control. Some people hear order in their home, and they hear order in the church, and they think, oh, I'll show you order. We'll be going to the container store, and I'll get this thing under control. It will be totally organized, and everything will fit in the Excel spreadsheet, and everything will be perfect. Life doesn't work like that. That's not, that's not how things always happen. We need structure. We need boundaries so that in the middle of that, we can have the freedom to live the life that God has called us to live. What happens when God's spirit breaks out in our lives and our church? There's peace and there's order. One of the famous stories from the New Testament is Jesus with his disciples out on the sea. He's sleeping in the boat. Big storm breaks out. Disciples start to panic, run around. Jesus, don't you know we're about to die? The ship's going to capsize. Jesus gets up, says, hang on, calms the storm, and they're able to see what it looks like when God's Spirit brings peace and when God's Spirit 
brings order. When we are able to say, it is well with my soul, not because I'm holding my life together, but because he is. If you're here this morning, and you know your life is chaotic, and you are so eaten up by anxiety on the inside that you do not know where to turn, God is not a God of confusion. He's a God of peace. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to say a prayer here in just a moment. After I pray, we're going to sing a song about the peace that God desires to bring in our lives. During that time, if you need to pray for someone, if you need to pray for someone, go and do that. But if you need someone to pray for you about peace in your life, maybe your job is chaotic or your home is chaotic, or everything feels a little bit out of control right now, and you need someone to pray for you, we want to be able to do that. We want you to be able to come up here and pray. We want you to use this time as a reminder that God's Spirit desires to bring peace and order to your life so that you'll truly know what it means to follow Him. Let's pray together. We're going to sing this song, and you're going to have a chance to respond to God's work in your life. Father, I know that 1 Corinthians has come with a lot of difficult subjects and even some difficult verses to deal with this morning. But God, I, I just know the, the turmoil that I face personally. And we don't have to look very far around us in our community and our world to see what happens when there's chaos and what happens when there's no peace. And so, Father, by the power of your Spirit, we ask that you would bring peace and order to our lives, to our homes. God, I pray for families who desperately need that peace and structure and order in their family, God, that they would know that only comes from you. It's not about trying harder. It's about realizing what you want to do in their lives. God, I pray for our church that we would know what it looks like to have appropriate peace and order not through sweeping things under the rug, not through being overly controlling, but just asking, God, that your spirit would bring those things in an appropriate way. And God, if there's anybody here this morning that's been trying to hold their life together on their own, that they would know that they can have peace with you through Jesus Christ. God, that you would save people this morning. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.